you decrease the population enough, you'll actually see a negative growth rate. So the population will be so small that it can't grow. And that, of course, will lead to extinction um, at an accelerated rate. When you're looking at rare species versus invasive species, I think this is really interesting, is one of the things that makes species invasive their ability to to avoid ali effects, um, to, to be able to grow quickly from small population sizes. And so that's where I think that this is just a really exciting area and there's a lot left to explore. You're listening to the Field Reports podcast. I'm your host, Ravindra, and today we have a special guest for a very special episode. We have with us Dr. Andrew Kramer from the University of Georgia. He's the main editor for the Journal of Animal Ecology, special edition on Alley Effect. But if you're wondering what exactly is the Alley Effect, you're probably not alone. And that's why we're making this primer to be Alley Effect special edition. So welcome to the Field Reports podcast, Dr. Andrew. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. Um, so when I first heard the word Alley Effect, I thought it's something to do with alleles and genes. And I was wrong. So could you explain what the alley effect is all about? Yeah, that's a, that's a common mistake just because the spelling is really similar. And it, it's named after an ecologist from the 1930s in the, in the U.S. called W.C. Ali. And so his last name is where the, the, the name of the concept comes from. But the idea is that when populations are small you can end up with positive effects of density. So we're all really used to thinking about negative density dependence, meaning when things get crowded, then there's less food or there's higher competition, uh, there's, there's lower habitat quality, and so you would have um, reduced population growth. And what Ali found was sort of the opposite of that, that when populations are really small, you can actually have benefits from, from adding more individuals. And it turns out that there's multiple ways that this can happen, and that whole group of things, um, which you could also refer to as positive density dependence instead of using the term Ali effect, but that whole group of things has been called Ali effects uh, in his honor. Okay, so how, how common or uh, rare is this effect? Yeah, so, well, I think, I think first maybe it's useful to talk about the ways that this can happen, and so that will kind of give you a, an idea of when it might show up or not. So one of the, the first things that, that's really obvious is that sexually reproducing um, animals or plants need to have males and females um, in order to reproduce. And so if a population is really small, there simply might not be, um, a, a female might not find a male in, in the amount of time that she needs in order to reproduce. And so that's going to re reduce fitness of that female, and it's going to lower the population growth rate of that whole population. And so that would be a really good example um, of what we call a mate limitation of the effect. And so you can imagine that um, that that could occur in some species, and it's, it's been documented in rare plants, um, insects, crustaceans, um, other invertebrates in the ocean. But there's also um, 
very different mechanisms that can lead to the similar process. And so another one that I've studied is, is often referred to as predator satiation. And this is the idea that if you have a really large um, aggregation or, or outbreak of, of a, an insect or some other animal, there's so many that the predator simply can't, can't eat a very large proportion of them. And if that outbreak was much smaller, it could be that the predators could eat all of those, all of those organisms and thus decrease the population growth rate of that, of that population. And so depending on what species you are and, and, and as we will talk about when we get to the special feature, depending on what density you're usually at, um, the way that the Ali effect can arise changes. Mm-hmm. And, and and what are the other like mechanisms? You mentioned a few of them. What are the other mechanisms uh, to yes. cause this effect? So the so some of the other um, really well studied ones are are cooperation in social animals. So species like meerkats and African wild dogs, um, which need cooperation among their group in order to breed, in order to successfully feed. Uh, if those groups get too small, then their fitness is negatively affected. And by by gaining a few individuals, they can increase the, the fitness of those individuals and potentially the, the growth rate of the entire population. Um, and then there's some, some trickier ones. So things like habitat alteration, which... Um, if you think about shellfish in the inner tidal, you can, you can think about the way in which the presence of those shellfish makes it better habitat for villagers or young to, to settle in that same habitat. Whereas if it was bare rock, a single individual trying to settle might have more, more trouble. And so that's often called uh, habitat alteration of the effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there uh, any genetic mechanism uh, that can cause this effect as well? Yeah, genetics are, are really closely intertwined with, with the Ali effect, and that's something that we delve into in this special feature, I think, to a greater degree than, than has been done before. And the way in which this happens is we all know that small populations have lots of interesting things that happen genetically that don't happen in large populations. So genetic drift is really strong. You can get inbreeding depression. And and in and of themselves, those aren't direct effects on individual fitness. So an individual, um, the inbreeding depression itself can happen in a population of any size if, if all the individuals are very similar. But the way in which the Lee effect comes in is that as the population declines, then the rate of inbreeding depression goes up, and then you can end up with, uh, with the, the population density driving reduction in fitness through the inbreeding. And there's some recent work by Luke et al. That, that sort of lays out this conceptual uh, pathway. And then in our special feature, we have a couple articles that that show how that would happen in real populations and what it would mean for the fitness of those populations. Right. So so given that it has a lot of effects on the population dynamics of, of many animals, uh, presumably, 
are there any applications of this theory um, in general? Yeah, so the, the biggest interest, I think, comes from, from three or four directions and, and has actually led to some, some different nomenclature in different um, fields of ecology. So in fisheries, they've often talked about the problem of recovering um, populations that have been overfished. And so these are populations that were big, now they're small, and the growth rate of that small population is really low even if you stop the fishing. And Atlantic cod is a good example of this, and there's lots of other examples. And so fisheries scientists have been studying that for a long time, and they came up with a term called depensation, um, which is the opposite of compensation in their terminology. And essentially they were describing an ali effect. Um, we're not sure for each population what the mechanism is. Is it a is it a mate limitation or is it a predator satiation? But something is certainly depressing growth rates in, in some of these overfished fish populations. So understanding that better would have really big impacts on the best way to manage those populations and more importantly um, help prevent future problems where we, we deplete the fish so much that they can't recover on their own. Right. Uh, um, the insect biocontrol and um, pest control in insects is another area where the effects uh, both have been used in the past and there's a lot of interest in the future. So there's a paper in, in this special feature on using Wolbachia to reduce insect population growth rates. And the reason this bacteria um, is, is most effective is because it interacts with the sexual reproduction of those of those populations. Uh, gypsy moth are a kind of a poster child species for, for mate limitation and the way in which the effects can greatly slow down an invasion. And so managers put out um, pheromone traps to further reduce the mating rate. And although that doesn't stop the spread, it slows it down dramatically. Um, so that's been an example of a, a success in, in using mate limitation as a management tool. Um, and of course, con species of conservation concern are often rare and at low density. And so just understanding um, ways to increase the growth rate of those populations in order to recover them uh, is another, another place where, where this type of density dependence is really important. So uh, is, there, is there like a threshold or a critical size only below which you can see this effect um, at the alley effect working on the small population? In a lot of populations, there's a lot of theory about why that should be the case, that if you decrease the population enough, you'll actually see a negative growth rate. So the population will be so small that it can't grow. And that, of course, will be to extinction um, at an accelerated rate. And so there's a lot of theory about what should that threshold be and, and when, um, say for gypsy moth, how many, how many females per acre um, constitute that threshold. The, 
The difficulty is that it actually varies a lot depending on the context. So even just within gypsy moths, depending on where they are um, geographically, that threshold can be very different. So it's important to understand if there is a threshold, particularly for a species of conservation concern, but it's it can be rather difficult to to predict what that threshold actually will be. Okay, great. Um, so all of this, all the mechanisms sound really interesting, but what uh, can our audience expect in the special, special issue on this effect? Yeah, so one of the most interesting things about um, where the research on Aliafex has gone recently is that the, the population genetics and the evolution is being um, more explicitly examined. So if populations are small and they can suffer drift and inbreeding, uh, we would expect that to change evolution. And if populations are in danger of going extinct, we would expect uh, strong selection for adaptations to reduce allele effects. And so I've named a lot of mechanisms for allele effects, but in fact, um, when people have looked at big groups of population time series, so using um, global databases on the time series of lots of different animals and plants, there actually hasn't been very much solid statistical evidence that allele effects are happening in very many of those populations. And one reason for this could be that um, that those populations are actively adapting to overcome the allele effect. And another reason could just be that in the context of the complicated community interactions, um, it's just really hard to detect the allele effect or it's overwhelmed by some other uh, aspect of biology. But, so in this, in this special feature, we have a few papers looking at specifically how genetics and evolution are going to um, impact the allele effects. And, and one interesting idea is that we see, we're going to see more positive density dependence as time goes on because we're reducing populations from really high densities to really low densities through all kinds of human activities. Mm -hmm. and, and theory would say that the adaptations to succeed at high density might be very different from those at low density. So perhaps we'll see more mate limitation or more issues with um, cooperative feeding as we actually change those densities dramatically to low densities. And so one of the papers in this, in this feature shows how that will happen and kind of looks at which type of mating systems that's more likely to happen um, for the for mate limitation in, in particular. Another really interesting paper in here looks at how in cooper in social species how impacts at the group level versus the individual level versus the population level all combine to lead to either um, the type of threshold we talked about and whether that threshold appears at the level of the group or at the level of the whole population. Um, and so that's a really important um, conceptual framework in order to understand how social species should, 
should um, react to lower population densities. So does that mean uh, it depends on the kind of sociality of, of the group? So it's useful yeah, and, and it depends a lot on the, uh, the variation in size between the groups that make up the population. So it may be that small groups do really poorly, but if there's a lot of variation in size, the larger groups may, may maintain the population at a stable, at a stable level despite the lower fitness in the small groups. Right. Uh, okay, so what uh, what are the unexplored uh, areas in this research, and um, so what next for the Ali effect research? Yeah, I think I, I think there's still a lot here. Like I said, there's a little bit of a disconnect between we keep finding new method, new mechanisms that seem to lead to low fitness when you're at low density, but when we look at big data sets, we don't actually see um, populations reacting in this way. So the, the trick is connecting those, those two facts that may not actually be in opposition, but we don't understand how, how they're both um, active at the same time. And so there are still new mechanisms being, being thought up and new theoretical implications of of the Lee effects, but I think moving forward, what's really interesting is how the real world context, so the fact that we know species can evolve, uh, we understand now that populations are evolving much faster than we used to think, and so how is that evolution leading to, to the actual observations in nature? Is that you know, ameliorating the Lee effect fast enough that, that populations are able to persist? And then thinking about how the, all the interactions among species um, change the, the strength or the presence of the Lee effects within, within the species that are suffering from them. So I think, I think there's, there's been some impressive theoretical um, advances, and now there's going to be a period of, of matching those up with empirical with empirical data, or maybe the empirical data suggests that, that we don't have those theories right, and then we'll go back and, and figure it out. Right. Uh, uh, that's all I have, uh, actually, that's all the questions. Is there anything that you'd like to add? I think that's, you know, I think we did a pretty good job of covering early effects um, in general, and I think the biggest thing that I've taken out of studying this, this area, so I came into it um, from the context of looking at at lakes, mountain lakes, and those lakes have been stocked with non-native fish, and the fish were being um, removed or or were dying out in those lakes, and we were interested in whether the lake could go back to the way it was before those non-native fish were there. Mm -hmm. And what we found is that for some species, the fact that they were now at a very low density meant that they couldn't come back to the way they had been before. So they're still there, but they're just not able to, to recover um, because they've been reduced too far. And that, and that was due to a mate limitation of the effect in that context. And so that was really interesting to me, and I started studying um, the math and the, the importance of stochasticity and all of that. 
And then it turns out that there's so many different mechanisms and so many different species uh, that that it seems like it must be a really important factor in nature. Yeah. But we're not really sure that it is. And so to me, that's a, that's a very cool mystery. And it, it leads to a lot of interesting questions. For instance, if an allele effect can happen in a zooplankton that's usually you know, millions of individuals in a lake or hundreds per liter or something along those lines. If it can happen in those species, how did those species uh, establish in the first place? And when you're looking at rare species versus invasive species, I think this is really interesting, is one of the things that makes species invasive their ability to, to avoid allele effects, um, to, to be able to grow quickly from small population sizes. And so that's where I think that this is just a really exciting area and there's a lot left to explore. Yeah. And you didn't ask me any questions about um, how people ignore facts and how we can make science better, so I appreciate <laughs> you for going easy on me. <laughs> now that you say, what, what do you think? <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any magic answers, um, <laughs> but I think... I think one thing that in the at least in the couple I didn't I listened to didn't come up. I think one thing that's really important is not necessarily teaching scientific facts per se, so getting people to believe X about biology and Y about climate change, but maybe focusing on quantitative reasoning. So the fact that if there's a ninety percent chance of something happening, that means that the opposite is gonna happen some of the time. Um, as opposed to to every time that opposite thing happens, suddenly that's evidence that we're wrong. No, it's actually it's actually expected. Um, and so I think that kind of reasoning is actually something that's missing a lot, as as often as as it is um, an issue of politics or or lack or poor education about science. Um, I think just the ability to to think about probabilities and uncertainty is something that that can be improved. And you're never going to get everyone to agree on everything, but I feel like that's that's something that is not done well and can be done better. Yeah, that's right. I, I guess there were some um, instances as well of uh, like the weather reports of, of some con in some country uh, meteorologists scientists who work on the prediction of weather so they were persecuted or something because they did not predict it or something like that right so it was it was yeah. a probability but people don't understand that probability just means you know that much person that much um chances right of, of it being it being true if we can just turn everyone into poker players, then maybe <laughs> maybe people will do it, will understand science better. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Andrew. You're welcome. That was Dr. Andrew Kramer, and I'm your host, Ravindra. You can follow me on Twitter at Ravindra underscore PN. Check out the LEFX special issue on the Journal of Animal Ecology's website.